Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pucks Talk Live podcast. Division previews day two. If you haven't listened to our previous uh, division preview where we looked at the Canadian division, the North division, uh, it's a pretty good episode. Uh, go ahead, check it out. It is find our Instagram at Puck Talk Live Podcast on Instagram. Click the link. You should be able to find it there. Uh, talk about the Canadian division, how we feel about the teams going into this season. And yeah, we are going to jump right into it. Hold on. Wait. With me on the call, as always, if I didn't need to introduce them, the, I, Noah, Rafi, you know the drill. Let's get hello, into hello. this. Let's get into these previews. We're going to start at the bottom and go all the way back up to the top like we did yesterday with the North Division. Rounding out the caboose of this central train, I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious. We, put the, we agree that the Detroit Red Tampa Wings... Tampa Bay Lightning. Wait. Oh. The Detroit uh, Red Wings are okay. going to be the last <laughs> team in this central division. This is not to say that they have a bad team. Like, they have a bad team. Like, well, okay. <laughs> well. They, they have a bad team, but this isn't to say that they have a, like, th- this is not the year where they they are forced to tank and be the last team in the league. Like, I, I think the worst is behind them. I, I don't think, no. Th- this is not the worst team Detroit has seen in recent memory. Stevie, why is leading the, leading the charge here? Of course they're not going to be, like, that bad. They 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 got their guy. They know he knows what he's doing. I have a hundred percent faith and confidence in Stevie Y, as we all do. Eisenman is the smartest. I I don't care that Lou Lamorello somehow won uh, GM of the year. I don't You're care kidding. that Sackett completely fleeced Lou Lamorello for Devontae's. I I don't care. Steve y, Stevie Y Steve Eisenman is the smartest man in hockey. I am not going to hear otherwise. We are not going to get into this debate. Yep. And just a reminder, they, just a reminder yeah. for all the people who are saying Detroit's awful, Detroit's awful. I mean, they kind of are. Just a reminder, they don't have, not everyone on their team is bad. Dylan Larkin had 53 points in 71 games with the Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings last season had like 30 something wins, maybe not even. That is just not even. They were they were a seventeen win team. Oh, you're right. They had thirty. Yeah, they, they were, they some they were eliminated yeah. before the Come trade on. deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just a reminder: Dylan Larkin's pretty good at hockey. Yeah, and, just keep an eye on him. And just one last closing point too: when you look at their team, it, they definitely they are boosted in development. And I think the the biggest key for them is having like two goalies. Where I feel like. Both have the potential to be like solid, underrated goalies. You have Thomas Grice, who spent time with the Islanders and won a Jennings Trophy with Robin Lehner, I believe it was two or three years ago. And then you have Jonathan Bernier, who is criminally underrated. And as a backup, even as a starter, I thought he was really good the last few seasons, although his numbers, because he's on the Red Wings, may have looked a bit worse. So I think that tandem obviously is not going to be enough for the Red Wings to really do anything special with their lack of defense and their lack of offense, really. But they're not going to be the 16-win team that we saw, 17-win team last season that we were watching. So it's it's definitely an improvement. But This is going to be a competitive team. I, I don't think that if you if you go up against Detroit, every, like the Central Division teams are going to see the Detroit Red Wings somewhere between 7 and 10 times throughout the 56-game season. 
it's going to be a tough seven to ten games against these guys. Like I I I don't think there's a better way to put it. They're going mm-hmm. to be competitive. They definitely are not where they need to be, at least on paper. Maybe the you know maybe they're all under the impression and maybe they've been training for a season to push them into the playoffs. I don't know. Only time will tell. We're five days out from the as at the time of recording this. We're five days out from the season starting on January thirteenth, but. This is going to be a competitive team. Bobby Ryan being signed to a one-year deal, that's a great, great you know, uh, leadership aspect. Vlad Nemestikov, Robbie, Fab- uh, Robbie Fabry, uh, Anthony Mantha's going to have a bounce-back season. Dylan Larkin should wear the C at some point in his career. I don't know if there's yeah. word about that. But the, their, their offense looks a lot better. Uh, I really like the Philip Zadna. The, presence like I think he's going to be huge this year for the team and then on the back end I know Mark Stahl kind of kind of was not great last year in all aspects but uh he's a good veteran presence for this young up-and-coming defensive core that Detroit is trying to uh you know train and develop in their system and it's going to be this is the turning point for this team this is the turning point in their rebuild for sure and it helps that a lot of the other teams in the central not a lot but some of the other teams in the central might be just as bad as them uh moving moving right along to number seven we have our hometown crew chicago blackhawks i hate to put them this low but we have dylan strom as our number one center and then carl soderberg as our number two center and then what, it, um, you know, <clears throat> so um, as, yeah. as Blackhawk fans, the three of us as, as you know, diehard Blackhawk fans, that is this the worst, it, you know, since the dark ages in like the early 2000s, I'm talking post cup era Blackhawks. Is this the worst team we've assembled? Well, no. Not it's the worst team that we're gonna put out on the ice. If you put Jonathan Taze and Kirby Doc back on the ice, this team is actually somewhat reasonable, right? This team is actually not horrible. But you take away your captain and your one C, you take away a fantastic young guy in Kirby Doc at your two C, and this team suddenly becomes miserably, miserably terrible. The guys we're gonna put on the ice, yeah, it's gonna be a really rough season. But uh, if if Taze and Doc come back some way. Um, like midway through the season, don't expect them to make a playoff push for God's sake. No, but they'll be way more competitive than they were without those two key pieces. See, so the problem Robbie, with the block, yeah, I'll, I want to ask you this. The, of course, I, I think this is where you were going, but the Blackhawks defense in recent history has been terrible. Like they haven't found that same identity that they had during the cup winning seasons. They aren't able to grind a team down and, you know, keep it low scoring and make it a slow, muddy game that they probably were able to do at the peak of their, you know, cup winning season during that three cup and six year run. What's different about the recent, you know, with the moves that we made this offseason, what's different about this defensive group? So I really like the trade for Nikita Zadorov. I think that's kind of one of the bigger pieces the Blackhawks were missing all this time the last few seasons. I think after losing Jalmerson, although we did get Connor Murphy, who's now developed into a very solid top four defenseman for the team and a guy who could play top pairing minutes with a, a potential solid 
other elite defensemen, which we obviously don't have, but that's his potential right now. Right. I think we kind of missed out by after losing like a guy like Jalmerson in the cup days of a guy who is not going to be crazy good offensively, but he is just a menace on defense. And I think the addition of Zadorov will also help Boquist or Ian Mitchell, whoever he's paired with, in the sense that they're not going to get pushed around as much. Both of them are kind of more smaller than the average defenseman, so it's easier, and especially the fact that they're still pretty young at 20, 21 years old. So I think that big, intimidating uh, factor that Zadorov brings is really going to help them develop more as a prospect because I feel like they'll have more time, more free open space on the ice to make plays as well. So he's also a great anchor too to have great stay at home defenseman as well. So I think that this is kind of one of the bigger pieces the Blackhawks needed and he's only 25 too. So he does have, he has plenty of room to, to, to still grow like this, is the, yeah. the hockey that he's playing, which is pretty good hockey. He's a six foot six defender uh, who's at 25 years old. He has plenty of time to hone that, you know, big-bodied, sweeping defenseman presence that I think he brings to this team, which is, you touched on perfectly, Rafi. And I, I'm i throwing this out for the both of you, Noah and Rafi. Ian Mitchell, he's been in training camp. He's been looking really well from the footage that I've seen uh, online. Do you think he slots in? Like, I, I, think he, I think we can all agree, considering where the team is, he's going to slot in at some point. Do you think he makes a permanent role for himself on this team, even though we have a good somewhere between five and seven defensemen in our system that are around the same age that, you know, need those NHL minutes in order to see whether or not they're ready for the next step in their career. In a word, no. In a longer explanation, no, because of what you just said, right? Like we have, like you said, we have so many guys that are um, coming up and don't forget, we still have Brent Seabrook who's, who says he's feeling better than ever and still wants to prove himself on an NHL team. Right. So we have so many defensive guys that could slot into that, you know, fifth or uh, the sixth or even fifth, you know, defensive spot. I see Ian Mitchell playing like a fair number of games. Do I see him like within the first like week, Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton are like, yeah, this is our guy. This This is our guy. Probably not. They're probably going to give some of the other guys a chance to develop, especially in a shorter season where you know you're not going to be as good. You can take some risks. You can lose some games um, by putting in these younger guys, uh, and you won't be too upset about it. Yeah, I agree with Noah with the sense that there's a lot of there's a bit of a clog in the Blackhawks' upcoming prospect pool on defense, which is a great thing to have. It's a it's a good problem to have, but it's still a exactly. problem, right? Yeah. Because you you never want to stunt a player a player who has a very high ceiling like Ian Mitchell has a very good ceiling and I think for sure Keith Dahan Murphy Zadora Boquist are kind of our five like kind of locks I could see Boquist getting subbed out every now and then I think obviously Seabrook saying that he feels better than ever definitely I feel like he's going to get a shot to prove himself and with guys like Bowden guys like Ian Mitchell guys like Wyatt Kalanuck and Lucas Carlson and then you could also throw in uh, Rajula as well if you wanted to get a bit risky with it the Blackhawks have a lot of guys and I touched upon this and you guys also went off it last show where we talked about how there's going to be a lot of back-to-back games and having depth is going to be really important for teams because playing every single night is going to be a lot on the players and with 
prospects, you don't want to really overload them right at the start. So I think I wouldn't be shocked if when Ian Mitchell's playing, he's with a guy like Nikita Zadorov or Duncan Keith who can help develop or provide a physical presence towards him. I, I agree with Noah. I think I don't think he makes the roster and becomes like a piece right away in the top six, right coming right out of camp. But if he does prove himself, and he's going to get plenty of chances, as Bowman and Colton have come out to say that they're going to give a lot of the younger guys chances, then I, I could see Ian Mitchell kind of running away with one of the spots and definitely for sure. making a good case for why he belongs in the top six or even top four next season. I think both you, Noah, and Rafi touched on all the points pretty perfectly. Like, he's a, a – everyone knows he's legit. Like, everyone in the Blackhawks system, everyone in the Blackhawks front office, everyone of the Blackhawks fans that knows anything about Ian Mitchell knows he's a legit defender. That In this season, too, with how weird it is, 56 games, COVID protocol, whatever it is, you know, the AHL season being whatever it is it's going to be in February, uh, I, I do think Ian Mitchell – we're not going to see him be a permanent member of the Chicago Blue Line group, at least not this season. I think he is going to make a pretty good name for himself in the short amount of time that he might have uh, to play. And I do think he, he has a lot to prove. Like, uh, I think with the few days left in camp, he has plenty of time to prove that he deserves a permanent spot on this roster. And I think he totally can and play it well. But with many things, only time is going to tell. Let's shift it. I don't think we need to touch on the Blackhawks goaltending. They got Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, and Kevin Lankinen. All three of those guys have high ceilings. Colin Delia has the mo- not. Let me rephrase that. Malcolm Subban has the most NHL experience, but still hasn't performed up to snuff. You know, for a lot of teams' comfort. But I think this is a bounce. This could be a very big season for him. He he's shown the dedication. He has shown the drive that he wants to get better, and all three goalies uh, that are going, I think, to be shifted around a lot uh, between the taxi squad and the AHL and the NHL. I think all three of those guys are going to see significant minutes in the NHL. I think this kind of works out this year with the taxi squad because it's now like a rule and a requirement that you have three goalies coming with you. And I think this is a great opportunity to have all three guys coming with you. I know a lot of people were saying, why not just put a lower guy like Matt Tompkins or someone else who can just fill a role and you just let one of those three guys, Delia Subban, Lincoln, and just start down in the AHL to start the season. And although I think that would be not a big deal, I also want to just emphasize the fact that this season for the Blackhawks, it's kind of like a tryout for next year in some sense. Like, obviously, the, with... When Kane, Taze, Zebra, Keith, if, when any of those guys are on the ice, they're not going to lose. They're not going to, they might lose the game, but you bet that they're going to go in with their A game and play the whole night out. They're not going to say, sure. all right, we're out of it. So with that team, you, with those guys, you can never count yourself out of a game. But this is also for a lot of the younger guys that we kind of mentioned with Ian Mitchell. It's a tryout for them. Guys like Lucas Walmark. And then there's also guys like Matthias Janmark, Dylan Strom, Kubalik, Debrinket. There's a lot of young guys who have who want to prove that they are up to snuff. Some of them who had worse seasons last year. Some of them who have a high ceiling. So this season is going to be a lot of a tryout, and I wouldn't be shocked if all three of them get pretty even splits for the 56 game season. I agree, 100. percent 
Let's shift out east to uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame host city, the Nashville Predators. This is a weird team. We have them ranked sixth in our Central Division rankings. The, I, I think this team could totally make it into the top three. No, this is. I, 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 I think they have the. I think they. I, 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 hold on. I think they have the ability to, right? Like Matt Duchesne was not a bad player last year. He just was not as offensively productive as he needed to be. And I've alluded to this in prior episodes. I've alluded to this in other conversations I've had with the two of you. I think this season is going to be a... They have... I think they signed Hines permanently as their head coach. And I think Mm -hmm. he understands the role that Matt Duchesne and... Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg, the three of those guys are their offensive, you know, key pieces. And you have, you know, Victor Arvidsson, you have Michael Grandlin that are, and Luke Coonan, who just signed his uh, contract after being traded. They have offensive pieces that can really put it up. Like, right, Luke Coonan coming over from Minnesota, he has a 50-point ceiling in an 82-game season. Michael Grandlin needs to have a bounce-back year and prove that he is, he's going into a contract season. He, if he wants a raise and if he wants to stay with this team or go anywhere with any success, he needs to prove that he is the player he was when Nashville traded for him and flopped uh, Grandland and whoever else this whoever else they flopped. Uh, but th- the offense is going to rely on Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, and Ryan Johansson, the three of them. Uh, Forsberg being that, or my bad. Johansson being that 30-goal scorer that he can be, Matt Duchesne being a 25-goal big assist guy, and Philip Forsberg just being a great compliment to both of them, too. I think they can do that. I think they are going to do that. I think because they have that offensive uh, ceiling, the the flexibility that they have, especially adding Eric Howla into the mix as well this offseason as a free agent signing, I think they can really push. We have them ranked six. I think they can push into that top three. For sure. I disagree. And here's why. Here's some stats from last season. I know last season was bad, and this season is different. But here's some stats from last season. Predators had one player above 50 points. That was Roman Yossi with 65. Next closest was Philip Forsberg with 48. In the goals department, they had one player above 20 goals. Philip Forsberg with 21. No one above 25. And I think it's going to be a different season. Like, I just think it's going to be a completely different season. I think they... The team, this is not the Nashville, that was not Nashville Predators hockey. This is not the Nashville Predators that were able to go to the Western Conference Final not that long ago. This team had lost its identity. They fired their coach. They, this was a weird, COVID aside, this was a weird season for the Nashville Predators on itself. Pecorine took a huge drop off in statistics. UC Soros came in and, and was pretty good in relief. They lost their identity, and I think this offseason being what it was for them, being cut short, coming out of the bubble, uh, I, I think it it was enough time, and it's going to be enough time, and I think they're going to prove it too, that they are a different team than they were last year, and they're going to find that offensive identity that they had, and that yeah, you know, yeah. they're going to have two 30-goal scorers. They're going to have a bunch of guys that you know can reach the 15-25 to 25 goal marker on their offense and defense. I think that they can do that for sure. Yeah, I agree. And just to, in closing for the National Predators, out of all the teams in the NHL, obviously you have teams like the Flames and Sharks who can slot in as this team, but I'd say the National Predators for sure are 100% the top 
boomer bust team for me. I think the team, as you guys are kind of beat like a dead horse constantly, like they have a lot of talent offensively and defensively, and they have you. They have Charles. a fantastic top four d- defense pairing. Like exactly. I, I don't think many people talk about the fact that they have uh, Ekholm, they have Ellis, they have Roman Yossi, and you throw in Dante Fabro, who has plenty of NHL experience at 22. You have Mark Brewicki, who's coming off of a pretty decent season uh, by his standards in Ottawa. They have a very strong defensive group, especially in this offensively you know, stacked central division. I, yeah. I think it's going to be a difference maker for them. And I think we have— yeah. yeah, and I think— as I think Noah alluded to earlier, how like they could, or Logan, you may have touched on this, how Nashville honestly could has the potential to be three. Yeah. I also think they have the potential to be six and not even close to the playoffs. So, the, the, you described it perfectly. Boomer Bust, I think, is the best, the, the biggest Boomer Bust team in the Central and maybe in the league. Uh, it definitely goes to the Nashville Predators. Let's look at the fifth ranked team we have on our list for the Central, the Florida Panthers. This is year two, part two of it being quote unquote Florida's year to make it back into the league's, you know, conversation of relevant teams. And I think they made themselves relevant last year by, you know, they signed Bobrovsky. They made a really solid push for the playoffs in the bubble. They, as much as they lost in, I think it was a five game play in season for the uh, play in round against the Islanders for them. They still kind of proved that that you know they can keep up with the best, and the Islanders were one of the best teams last year in the bubble. I think uh, this they lost Mike Hoffman to free agency. Noah, do you think that's going like? Do you think that's going to be a blow? They lost both Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadanov to free agency. Do you think that is a? Where does that put their offense this season? Honestly, I can't make up my mind about Florida. I've gone back and forth. I'm like, this team is going to be bad. This Bobrovsky is not going to bounce back. This team's going to be fine. This Bobrovsky is going to bounce back. Uh, like I said, a lot of it depends on Bobrovsky. Their offense is like fine. They've got pretty decent depth. Um, their defense is definitely taking a hit, but it's still like decent. I think this team is pretty unpredictable. I think that five spot on the outside, just looking in, I don't see them stable enough. I don't see them consistent enough. I don't see them um, being able to perform at a high level for many, many games to secure their to secure a spot playoffs. I do think this team looks a lot better than they have in the past, and I think they are getting closer and closer to relevancy and consistent playoff appearances. I agree. My only problem with the Florida Panthers, I think their offense and defense looks pretty good. But as we kind of talked about a lot last show about the kind of Import- Canadian, the, the North Division. Tenure. Yes, the importance of having a solid backup goaltender this year. And I I personally believe that Bobrovsky will have a bounce back season and he will kind of return to how he played back in Columbus. But that can only do so much. Chris Dreiger, I don't really know too much about him. He's not really a name where I feel confident like he can start a few games. Obviously, I believe um, Scott Darling's kind of been in the mix for the Florida Panthers. They've been thinking about possibly bringing him back in. So that's something to keep an eye on. But Bobrovsky's really got to put the team on his back goaltending-wise and play it. He's going to have to not get too tired in that, in my opinion. I think their team's gotten 
Odyssey has improved, even though they lost Hoffman and Dadnoff. No, I, I, I agree. But the goaltending is kind of my the, big flaw with them. I think the biggest, what's going to hinder this team's success, they have, they have the depth at defense. Marcus Nudevara being brought in, Redko Gudas being brought in to back up that pretty decent top four with Anton Strahlman, Keith Yandel, Mackenzie Wieger, and Aaron Ekblad. Looking up front, right, you have a hot and cold player like Anthony Duclair, who was electric in the front half of the season and was static in the back half in terms of goal scoring. Alexander Wenberg, who has great offensive potential, especially with this dynamic lineup that the uh, Florida Panthers have. You know, Brett Connolly, you've got Nola Chari, uh, Patrick Hornquist being brought in as well, who can put up, you know, a 15th spot for goals and just be a big presence on the top six, top nine forwards for this team. It, I think a lot of this rests on their goal scorers. They need their goal scorers to get hot and stay hot. Because if they don't, there's no reason, right? They can have the best defense and the best goalies, but if they aren't scoring and if their goal scorers aren't producing, this team is going nowhere. Let's transition into our playoff teams. In that last playoff spot, just sneaking in at four, we've got the Dallas Stars, who have had some uh, COVID-related issues with their camp. Uh, They are on quarantine until January 19th, uh, is what the report is saying, and so will the Number three in our division, which we'll get to in a second, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Dallas Stars are coming off of a heartbreak against the Tampa Bay Lightning this past offseason. Where do you think their team lies currently? Like, after the offseason, training camp is, regardless of COVID, what is this team's mission and you know driving factor? What makes this team different than last year's Dallas Stars? Well... Right now, it's not looking great for them. You've got Ben Bishop on IR, Stephen Johns on IR, Tyler Sagan on IR. That's uh, that's not ideal uh, if you're wanting to start off the season strong. Anton Kudobin was a good goalie in the play in the bubble last year, and he's a great backup goalie. Can he handle a starting load right now with Ben Bishop out? No, I don't think so. At least I haven't seen enough out of him yet to prove that he can take a starting role. Um, You've got Tyler Sagan out, one of your big leaders, Stephen Johns, um, out as well, a solid defenseman for them. They've got one of the best young and upcoming defensemen in Miro Heiskanen. They've got a really solid top four. Their top six for the defense is fine. Um, you've got like pretty good tops, top six in your forward group, but after that kind of falls off. Um, I've got these guys slightly above Florida, but this is going to be a team that is another boomer bust. Like you have to win your initial games with Kudobin um, before Bishop gets back and before Sagan gets back. If you don't, you are absolutely screwed. Yeah, going off what Noah was talking about with the whole Ben Bishop Kudobin situation, Kudobin was arguably one of the best goalies in the Stanley Cup playoffs last season in the bubble. I think we all can agree on that. But the part that made his story so much better but also the part that kind of hinders him this season is the fact that he has been a, for the 10, 11 seasons he's been in the league, he has been a backup goalie. He has never been the full-time starter of a team, which is kind of scary for the Dallas Stars, and especially in a season where you only have 56 games, you can't really go into a five-game skid in a 56-game season or your playoff chances immediately drop. My big thing with the Dallas Stars is we saw last season before the playoffs, Jamie Benn, 
Joe Pavelski, Radulov, just to name a few guys, Klingberg, and I'd even throw in Heiskin, even though he's 21, all have down years last season. It was not looking good for them. I don't think Pavelski, Pavelski, it took like 20, 30 games for him to score a goal last season. It was rough for that whole team. And I'm honestly shocked that they did make, they did as well as they did in the bubble. I think they kind of rejuvenated and kind of resurrected themselves. I can't, if that, same team that we saw in the regular season last year shows up for the opening night whenever they play and plays the first few weeks. I don't think there's any shot that the, for them to make the playoffs this year. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. I, I'm excited to see how Dennis Gurianov does this year. Personally, he had found a scoring touch uh, for himself. I think get a 23 goal season. If my memories serve me right. And I, I think he's just going. He he's a lot like Andrei Svechnikov to me, for the Dallas Stars. I'd agree. And I I'm really looking forward to see how he performs because he is going to be an electric goal scorer when he's in his prime. And I I, I can't wait to see him take the next step this season. Top three teams: Columbus Blue Jackets at number three. Pierre-Luc Dubois signs that two-year deal. I, I Good. I think he's going to stay the two years because f- forget the disagreements he and John Tortorella have. He is a fantastic player. He is an awesome on-ice presence for this team. And frankly, their best player, their best offensive player. I love Gustav Nyquist. Uh, I, I, I don't think he has the Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, level of eliteness. But... This team proved a lot last season, and it stayed relatively the same. It has the same identity. Two young goalkeepers who proved themselves in the playoffs. I mean, Jonas Corposalo stopping, what, 70-some-odd shots against the, against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in that, that was 7 million overtime game that they had <laughs> in the first round. Are you kidding me? That guy is a stone wall, and I have no doubt that him and Ellis Merz-Lincolns, who was on a hot streak going into the bubble uh, before the break, I think that is a Greg Jennings dark horse tandem. Yeah, and you mentioned a bunch of guys, and you kind of hindered on like the one main guy that I feel is the sole reason and the biggest asset the Blue Jackets have, and the biggest reason why I personally think that they're going to finish in the top three in this division. And it's not a player. It's John Tortorella. He is just a mastermind of a coach. You can say whatever you want about his tactics. You can say whatever you want about his character, how he treats his players. I don't care. He is a coach that night in and night out is so strategically smart and is constantly making the right moves. Although his technique of how he gets his players fired up may not be what people like or want to see, it gets it lights a fire underneath them. We saw with Pierre Luc Dubois last season, and although he's kind of saying he didn't like it, after that game, the next game he had three goals, won the game versus in versus Toronto in that qualifying round. You know, Torts knows how to coach, and I can never, I will never count out a team that has Torts leading the helms head coach, at their as their head coach. Logan, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Just keep an eye on Pierre Luc Dubois and his uh, sentiment this year, because while I. I hope he stays at two years. Um, who knows? Uh, it, it doesn't seem that he wants to leave to a contender because Columbus looks pretty good. 
So it's likely an issue with Tortorella or players in the locker room or other coaches. So just something to keep an eye on throughout the season. And this is just a short question before we transition into our number two uh, team in the division. Max Domi, how important is he to this offense this season? I mean, he's not going to hurt them. <laughs> no, like not, like, not, not at all. I, I, I'm I at, don't like, I think what I'm trying to get at is, does he bring that level of importance that, or that level of, uh, what's the word, like ferocity to his game that, 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 that does he take his, does he make, play meaningful hockey again? Like genuine yes. meaningful hockey and make himself a mainstay on this team? I think so. Um, I think as a whole, Blue Jackets center depth is really good. You got PLD, Domi, Koivu, and Riley Nash. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think they need, I don't think the Blue Jackets need Max Domi. Um, I think they would have been fine without him. But I think that this addition of him being a really solid second line center is really, really going to help them and kind of put them over the edge of like, oh, maybe a bubble playoff team, maybe not. Now there seems like they're certainly a playoff team slotted in at our three spot. Yeah, he's he's a luxury for them, as Noah just alluded to. And, He's a guy that will definitely benefit from Columbus's all-around muggy defensive play because Domi's a guy who, who's more offensively talented. He's going to make a few more chances. He's going to turn over the puck a few times. But when you look at their defense, when you look at some of the other guys offensively around him, they're guys that if he does make a mistake, it won't wind up in the back of the net. And that's kind of a problem that we saw when he was with Montreal and with Arizona where the system that he was in didn't really help him out too much. So when he made a mistake, it was much more obvious, I think, in Columbus. If he does make a few mistakes, because he's still a young guy, too, it won't show up on the scoreboard. And I think that will really help his confidence more, too, and just for sure open up and get like a new asset to his overall build as a player. Let's round off this list uh, with our top two teams. Number two. Carolina Hurricanes, number one, Tampa Bay Lightning. I want to talk about Carolina before we talk about the defending cup champions real quick. They were in the Metro division, and that was going to be a tough division for them. I think I don't even need to ask this question, but how key and how clutch is it that they are in this significantly weaker central division, Noah? It is so big for them. They are, without a doubt, the second best team in this division. They are in another tier than anybody else the only only problem they have and why they are not number one and better than tampa in my opinion is their goaltending and that's not super surprising i'm not making any bold statement here by saying their goaltending is the weakest part of their team no it's a very fair statement their offense was honestly surprisingly electric their defense is known for being incredible surprisingly electric you say please noah please (laughs) they have two uh, uh, potential Rocket Richard winning forwards. Yeah. Andrei Svechnikov and Sebastian Ajo. They have a 50-point assist guy alone. And Tevu Teravainen. They've got Warren Fogel. They've got Jordan Stahl down the middle. They have all, oh, surprisingly electric. Please, Noah. Put some respect I'm, on their name. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that. We all know their first line is incredible. It honestly might be the, one of the best first lines in the league. Actually, I take that back. 
it is one of the best first lines in the league. I'm talking about their depth. That was really good. Um, but yeah. their goaltending, Reimer and Razik, eh, if they get if they trade for like a really proven solid goaltender at the deadline, I think they win the cup this year. And that's not a joke. They both they both are, in my opinion, they're both are kind of like Jake Allen, where it, I, I think Peter Mrazek's a lot like Jake Allen in the sense that if he's your starter, it's not the end of the world. But if he's your backup, you're in a great spot. And yeah. and then that kind of sums up the goaltending and it's like this is where splitting starts is i I think there is nothing wrong in it i I think it's going to become more common that teams develop goalies not to be a starting goaltender and a backup goaltender that guys you know trade for just a backup goaltender because they need someone that can step in relief for 15 to 20 games in a full season i think it is going to start becoming more and more common that guys scout in the league out of the league you know develop and draft guys that they know can work well in in one a one b type scenario and i think this is the perfect at least in this division this is the perfect example of a goalie tandem that has that identity james reimer and peter morazic on their own i don't think they can carry a team well enough as starting goaltenders i think they've proven that individually that they are not True starting goaltenders. Peter Morazic is great. James Reimer is great because they're both great and they have that ability to, you know, play at a nine fifteen save percentage level and you know somewhere between a two four and a two six goals against level uh, in a split role. I think that is the perfect thing, and I think we're going to see that with this team and plenty of other teams as well. In some facet, you can kind of put them in the same mix with the Colorado Avalanche as teams that are really high up on the contenders tier but have that one hindering problem which is goaltending yes so i i do i'd have to imagine and i don't think this is a bold statement when i say that the hurricanes will likely look to add a us an elite level or really solid level goalie come the trade deadline or even in the next few weeks so i don't think that's any crazy speculation that might no. occur i just think it's facts number one in the division Defending Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. They are without Nikita Nikita Kucherov. Pardon me. They are without... Actually, that's really all they're missing. Is the lack of Nikita Kucherov going to hinder this team's potency in this division? Yes. Is it going... Then follow up. Is it going to hinder it in a way that they aren't going to be as dominant? Uh... I think like, the only real competition is the Hurricanes, uh, just based on style. But Braden Point is so unbelievably good. And if Steven Stamkos stays healthy the entire season, which is never really a guarantee, but let's hope he does. If he's if able Stamkos, to stay for 56, seat, for 56 games, he might just win the Rocket Richard. There's a hot take for you. It's possible. I mean, they didn't really change much, the Lightning. They've still got uh, top three goalie in the league, Andre Vasilevsky. They've still got Norris winning Victor Hedman. You know, they're still doing just fine. Um, they're finishing, unless the Hurricanes make an incredible run, I think Tampa Bay wins this division just based on, I don't think they have a cup hanger over either. Um, I, I don't I, think they do either. They, I think they're hungry I, for another one. If I'm Tampa Bay, all, all I, obviously, this is not like the message you want going around in your locker room, but like from an outsider's perspective, for Tampa Bay, it's really just, make it to the playoffs 
I, like even if they're the three or the four spot, I think they they're going they'd be as low as the three spot if all goes wrong for Tampa Bay this year. And then you get Nikita Kucherov back, and you're back on the top again. I I don't see why there's any there shouldn't be any nervousness with Nikita Kucherov other than the fact that he's injured and this could be a potential re-injury or something like that. But other than that, from a this season perspective, like they'll make the playoffs and. When they get, I, I wouldn't be too worried about their about missing Kucherov when they're in this division. I don't think it's gonna really affect where they finish in this division. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Puck Talk Live podcast. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow where we look at the Western Division with all those Southern Californian teams, as well as Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota, Arizona and Vegas. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Puck Talk Live Podcast for anything uh, show-related, content-related. Be sure to interact with our socials by clicking that Linktree link in the podcast Instagram's bio. Uh, find our socials. Find all the show information. Thank you guys once again. We will see you guys tomorrow for the Western Division preview. Take care. Take care.